Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today's Changemaker chat is a little bit different. This one is about me. Earlier this year, I had the honour of being part of a podcast series produced by Muslim Women's Australia called On Purpose. The podcast was launched during Ramadan and was designed to address issues affecting cultural and linguistically diverse communities and Muslim families. Now, let's be clear. I'm white, but I have worked for decades with Muslim Women's Australia. They asked me to speak about my work. The conversation was wide-ranging. We talked about community organising and strategies for change. We also talked a lot about who we are when we organise and how we can bring our whole self to how we make change. The conversation turned to an important issue in my life, mental illness. I want to thank Feta Abdo, the host of this conversation, for creating such a warm and open space. And I want to thank Muslim Women's Australia and their CEO, Maha Abdo, for many decades of connection, care, and mentorship. To be honest, this episode has made me a little nervous. It's raw and very honest at times. But sometimes we see the best of us, not when we're trying to be strong, but when we show who we really are. So, let's go. I'm Amanda Tattersall. Welcome to Changemaker Chats, conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers also produces episodes that are feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Changemakers also runs an organising school where you can sharpen your skills to make change in the world. All the details are on our website where you can also sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. So Amanda, we'll start off with, um, if you can elaborate a bit on the concept of community and what does it mean to be a community? Oh, it's such a big question. Thank you, yeah. Feta, and thank you for having me. Um, so for me, I mean, in part, thinking about community is thinking about having a space in public where you can feel yourself, you know? Mm. Um, you know, we talk about family life, which is being able to feel yourself in private, but community is a public concept where you can feel yourself amongst others in 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 all the richness of diversity that mm. our societies have. And so, and that's a very, you know, mixed and beautiful thing in a, in a place like Australia that's in, incredibly multicultural. So community in a place like Sydney, for instance, mm. where we're, we're sitting right now, um, 
has two big elements. Um, it, one is about having a sense of commonality with people who are similar to you. So, for instance, the Muslim community mm -hmm. or, um, you know, we will talk a little bit about this later, I have uh, a mental illness as well as doing those other things mm -hmm. and I feel a sense of, of camaraderie and connection to the community of people who also struggle with mental health, yeah. right? So having that sort of commonality is really important. Mm. But community is also about bridging between difference mm -hmm. and so it's about... Um, me as a middle-class white woman building over many, many years a connection with the Muslim community in mm. Sydney and the richness that can come from exchange and learning and understanding across diversity too. Yeah, so, you know, the term community organising is something that's become a lot more common recently. Um, and, you know, it probably used to be something that used to be stuck to a bit of silos, you know, certain people who are experts in that field. But it's become something that people are using a lot more, and particularly in the Muslim community. We need to organise as a community. You know, we are a young community, but we need to do. We need to be better at community organising. What is the value in community organising? Okay, so in some ways, community organising is a set of skills, techniques, and ways of thinking and being that enact community, right? That allow us to build community, um, and so in some ways, that's it's it's great strength, and it makes me so. Um, uh, humbled and excited that that phrase community organising is now widespread because I remember when no one used it mm. and, um, you know, I, I was in the United States doing my PhD and encountered community organising in this tradition built by this guy called Saul Alinsky who'd worked in Chicago during the Depression, and the Depression in the 1930s and built this eventually international movement around a certain a localised practice of how diff people across difference could work together to change their cities and change their world. And I put that practice in my backpack when I came back to Australia and helped build the Sydney Alliance. And now it is, you're right, it's really widespread. And, and it's not just um, the practice that I talked about that's widespread. People have interpreted community organising and applied it in lots of different ways, mm. and that's part of its richness. But when I think of community organising, I think of a couple of key concepts. Mm -hmm. The first is relationships, right, and the power of this conversation, right? Mm. We're told that sometimes that we need to scale everything and everything needs mm. to be big and enormous, but actually community organising says that community is built one-to-one -one mm. first off, and so there's incredible power in being able to understand the dignity of every single individual and sharing between each other. But it's also it's not just about that, right? We can have relationships in our family life that, that just stay there. Mm. It's also about having an understanding of power. Now, power mm. is a concept that can freak people out, yeah. right? Because power has often been used abusively and horribly against us. That's right. But we say that there are two types of power or a spectrum of power, from power over, that horrible authoritarian form of power, mm. to power with, a creative and enabling form of power mm. where we can actually make the world that we need. And we use relationships and we combine it with the idea of power to create that idea of power with. And power with is something that we don't just create in our community. We create it between our communities. Mm. The Muslim community can't change Australia to be an inclusive and kind place on its own. Yeah. It needs to work with other communities. And so we, in, with organising, we do an analysis about thinking of what are those communities that, that we need to work with to be able to create the kind of power that allows us to change the world in, in the way that we hope it to be, where it can serve the values that we hold dear. Mm. We also talk, but even that's not enough, right? Yeah. 
so we also talk about action, right? It's, mm. it's very nice for us to believe all these things, but if we can't act, if we can't enact change that actually serves our values, that, that creates a world that brings those values to life, it's not enough. So community organising is also about action. It's also about institutions mm. and our organisations, right? Like us as individuals will always struggle to achieve change. You as a Muslim woman will struggle on your own, but you in Muslim Women's Australia with a network yeah. of powerful women, that makes a difference. Mm. Same with, and then you combined with the Uniting Church makes a difference. Combined with the Nurses Association, the yeah. union representing nurses makes a difference. So our institutions become an anchor for this sort of burgeoning democratic practice. Mm. And then the final, the final really important element is evaluation. So we can do all these things, but as we do them, we're always learning. Mm. Nothing is perfect in mm. this world. But what we can do is, is learn from our practice and learn uh, from our strengths, what we've done well, yeah. and also what we can change and do better next time. And it's in that practice that we, in that evaluation of our practice that we grow as, as leaders. Mm. And that's where community made up of all of us, where we learn to become powerful citizens. And that's something that we learn over time. We're not born great leaders. Yeah. We learn through our struggle. Well, that that's incredibly inspiring, right? Um, I mean, the way you articulate that makes me think, okay, yeah, we can, right? We can do all these wonderful <laughs> things. But um, unfortunately, reality checks in sometimes. And sometimes you can just be disheartened mm. by things that are happening around you or when you try and you don't see change happening, what, you know, what would be your suggestions or, or advice maybe for, for trying to keep that balance between being inspired and doing all these wonderful things? Mm. But then how do you then respond when you're disheartened by what you see around you? Yeah, it's such a good point. <laughs> it makes me think of two experiences. Okay. The first is... Um, the, walk, the demonstrations against the war in Iraq mm. right, in 2003. So I was really involved in, in that social movement and it, was, it really mattered to me. My, my family, my dad had been conscripted to go to Vietnam and got out of it but was, you know, an avid anti-war activist. My grandma had experienced war um, in England and talked constantly about it to us when we were kids. I was not supportive of, of that war. Mm. And um, was very involved. We organised the largest rally in Australia's history. You know, it was, it was, there was adrenaline. It was exciting. It felt really, really powerful when 10 million people around the world protested. Mm. And then war still happened, right? Yeah. All of that effort, you know, all of that power and it wasn't enough. And I was really disheartened. And as I've mentioned, you know, I, I have bipolar. So sometimes disheartened experiences yeah. don't just... Um, they could hit me really hard. Yeah. And I did go into a, a period of depression. And the thing that eventually saw me, and it took a long time, and I guess my first piece of advice is if, if things aren't going well, slow down. Mm. You know, like if we aren't, you know, Einstein said if we keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results, it's the definition yeah. of insanity. And as someone who knows insanity, <laughs> I think yes. he was right. <laughs> and... So, you know, at that time I did, I, sl I did slow down mm. and it was actually that path that led me to go and do this PhD on coalition building and go overseas and what led me to find community organising. 
And so those experiences where things don't go well can be incredibly powerful turning points and moments mm. for a change. But we don't feel like they necessarily are at the time. At the yeah. time, I think we feel like we're a failure. Yeah. And that we need to push harder and faster. Mm. And I understand that because <laughs> I've lived that. Yeah. But I also think that... Um, that if we do have that capacity to step back and reflect. And look, the, the Muslim tradition is better than any at, at knowing the power of stepping back and reflection. Yeah. Um, that if we can do that, then that we can turn those those hard moments in, into moments of transformation. Mm. I think the value of slowing down, stepping back, is something that we all understand in our minds and our hearts, but um, particularly as women... Um, we feel mm. a pressure to keep going, mm. right? And I need to be strong and I can't collapse and I can't be, you know, seen to, to not be, you know, to, to not just keep going. Yeah. Um, why, yeah. why am I doing that? Yeah. Um, and if I want to, you know, climb the ladder or, or progress, then I need to, need to just push, push yeah. forward. One of the focuses of today's discussion is we want to understand what it means to bring your whole self, right, to activism, to advocacy, to empowering communities um, and not, not leave parts of you behind, mm. right? Because um, traditionally women have had to be strong, you know, not show weakness, not show vulnerability um, and in some instances be more like a man in order mm. to, to lead. Yep. In your experiences, right, through everything that you have, you know, have, have been doing over the years in setting up Sydney Alliance, um, and, you know, with your experiences with the protests, organising the protests for the Iraq war, with the unions, all of that, how have you been able to bring your whole self to the space? It's such an important question. And I think and I am the first to say I am still learning how to do this. Like, I, um, I think it's incredibly important and incredibly challenging to genuinely bring your whole self to this. Well, it's genuinely challenging for me Mm. having a a mental illness that's constantly stigmatised, that brings great judgement from others. It's hard to bring that into into public. The thing that happened to me is that my... I had a psychosis when I was 19 and it was probably easily the most traumatic experience of my life. I was hospitalised for a couple of months. I was estranged from family and friends. It was it was very difficult. Mm. But it was also a turning point, yeah. right? It was a turning point because it made me choose to not be a lawyer. I was studying okay. a, being a lawyer. I was studying for, to, be a law, to be a lawyer. And, you know, I finished the degree, but I, but I made this decision that I was going to go and pursue something to do with making the world a better place right that was that was I was very clear on that as I as I got out of hospital and pulled myself back together but the challenge was is that I was able to go and pursue this more meaningful life make social Mm. change and I did do that you know it was in the student movement and unions and all and throughout my career Sydney Alliance setting up get up great things but I did truly struggle with being able to hold together my identity as being someone who made lots of change with my identity as being someone with a mental illness. Yeah. Because when I got into the student movement, I kept being 
attacked, like sledged, almost destroyed for the fact I had one. Mm. So if someone wanted to have an argument with me, instead of saying, oh, I disagree with you, Mm. they would say, oh, you haven't taken your medication. Mm. Oh, you're unstable. Or or, or not even to my face. They'd say behind my back, oh, Amanda's unstable. And I I sort of felt like I'd learned that I just can't be my whole self, Mm. right? I have to hide part of myself to be in public life and I did for many years and the beauty of the space that was the for me the Sydney Alliance building this this, the Sydney Alliance which had so many extraordinary leaders and and brilliant organizations in it was that I started to learn to talk about my whole self Mm. and I remember you know you're almost going to make me cry I remember sharing a story about my experience in hospital like almost for the first time with with Maha mm-hmm. and the Muslim Women's Association, you know, a million years ago, yeah. 2009. I know exactly when it was. Yeah. And it was a huge turning point for me because it was this, I sort of, it just felt safe enough for me to be able to say more about who I was. And, you know, it didn't, I wish I could sit here and say I oh, the Sydney Alliance fixed it all and yeah. made it perfect. It wasn't. It mm. didn't happen like that, right? Mm. I had another psychosis and I ended up losing my job. It was it was a sad time. Mm. But the healing from from that, um, even from that moment, right? That that turning point, like mm. losing your job as an adult, and I was a I was a mum. I still am a mum. Yeah. Mum of young kids, and uh, my you know my whole world was falling apart trying to work out, you know, how do I hold all these things together? I um, I slowed down mm-hmm. rather than sped up. I mean, I couldn't speed up anymore. I just had a psychosis. Yeah. Like, I had to slow down. But I was, I did slow down. And I, and in that time, you know, I got a new job at the university and I, I, I did some of those practical things. But I started to really look at this question of my, of my mental health. Yeah. You know, this piece that had been missing from public life. And, you know, the Sydney Alliance who who had let me go when I was sick then became an opportunity for me to change mm. because they said that they wanted to build a relationship with me. And through the support of Maha and the Muslim Women's, yeah. Muslim Women's Australia, a space was created where I could finally talk about what had happened to me mm. as a whole person, yeah. as a person who had bipolar and actually, you know, struggling with my bipolar and, and um, handling and dealing with psychosis and living with it is some of the most extraordinary stuff that I've ever done. Like, yeah, yeah get, setting up Get Up's great, setting up Sydney Alliance is great. Mm. Try living with a mental illness. That is, that yeah. is hard. Yeah. But I was able to bring... I was able to bring that to public life at this event. Yeah. And that's, to me, walking as a whole person. Yeah. That's what, that's, if, if social activism, community leadership at its, at its best, that is what it allows. Uh, yeah, I think what you've just illustrated there, Amanda, you've, when you're talking about the whole self and it's it's really it ties in so much with our islamic teachings of having your heart there as well you know you don't ever you don't ever your heart is not separate to who you are so 
that whole experience for you and, you know, I think the, the emotion that's coming out now because it's when we talk about sincerity, authenticity and activism, they're like, you know, buzzwords, but you've lived it, right? Yeah. Um, and and you've been, you've, you've had to fight in order to do that, yeah. right? And there are so many people who are facing these same struggles, right? And who, who have a million other struggles as well. That yeah. they're trying to just just get to. Because also, let me just be clear. Like, I have a lot of privilege, right? Mm. I'm a white middle class woman. I, I I had this all these university degrees. Like, I'm walking around with a lot yeah. of strengths. Mm. And sure, my mental health is 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 <laughs> incredibly challenging. But there are people who don't have those strengths. People like me need to speak yeah. with and for them and life is hard like being authentic and being real in life is hard but we need to be if things are going to change absolutely and you mentioned before the the concept of power with right um and i think that just just ties in so beautifully with the way that you then had power to share your story and you're, you're saying the space that opened up for you in order to do it, you know, privileged white woman, the space that opened up for you was MWA in Lakemba in yes. South Sydney. It was right? Maha. So it was, it was extraordinary. <laughs> this is the power yeah. of community, right? Yeah. This is the power of community. Yeah. So, so you don't, you know, we may think that society is structured in a certain way where there are certain groups with power and others who need to, you know, rise up to that level, but... It is so dynamic yeah. and so always ever-changing. And you mentioned right at the beginning of this conversation the value of relationships. Can you share with us a bit about your relationship with Maha, the current CEO of MWA, and how yeah. that started? Because I think that will just illustrate what it means to be authentic, to be sincere, and when things come full circle, how every step you take in life yeah. has an impact on, on where you end up and who you are. Yeah, oh, I'd be <laughs> delighted. So... I was doing this project, any, if there are any high school students or parents of high school students, they might know the subject society and culture and there's a big project, you still do, called a personal interest project, a PIP. And I had chosen to do mine on religion. I was interested in religion, I was interested in these questions of how to make meaning in life from quite a young age. And I, my PIP was called Religion Through Rose-Coloured Glasses and it was, a, it was going to look at Christianity, Judaism and Islam, right, the Abrahamic traditions. Yeah. And this was back in 1992, 1993. It was, you know, it was a long time yeah. ago, right? <laughs> and uh, so well, I didn't know any Muslim people and so I opened up the white pages. This was the old days where there Doesn't were these anymore. books <laughs> that had people's addresses and names in it and looked up Muslim and I put my finger on the page and I rolled my finger down and found... Muslim Women's Association, and I decided that they would be the people that I would call because it had women in the title. And yeah. I was like, oh, well, I, th I feel like I could connect, you know? Yeah. So I cold called the Muslim Women's Association and a woman picked up the phone and I booked a meeting with her. And so my, one day in the holidays, my mum dropped me off. She was on her way to Kingsgrove to see her parents and she dropped me off um, outside the mosque and I went into the red bricked, orange brick building that sat next door and I sat down with Maha for several hours and she, I asked her all my questions but then we just started talking. I mean, she's 
one of the warmest people, right? Like I've never <coughs> quite. She's just one of a kind, mm. and it was just it was just one of those remarkable conversations because I knew nothing and I had such ignorance, but she saw something in the conversation, mm. a curiosity and interest that just just. She was so generous with me. Mm. She gave me a tour of the mosque. She told, she just was very generous. And then I walked off to Lee Kemba Station and went home. But years later, when I was building the alliance, I was just so conscious that we needed her, and that we need. This was the moment where I had to reach out to her again. And she was had never left my mind. Mm. You know, like she'd never left my mind. It was she's just a, a figure who'd been there. And so we, when I went, that meeting that I just described before of sharing my story, that was my next meeting with her, mm. right? And then we, from that time on, we became very close. She, she stepped right into the leadership, uh, leadership role in the Sydney Alliance. She came, it was a few months later, she came to our six-day training, our big national training. She, she came on the board. She became very involved. I remember the Sydney siege. When the yeah. Sydney siege happened, that was a really important moment. We worked very closely together with this mm. project called the Olive Ribbon Project to try yeah. and stop Islamophobia, at least amongst our membership organisations. Yeah. You know, there's 500,000 people in Sydney Alliance organisations. It was a huge opportunity to be able to create a different conversation. And it became... And it was... a when we we debriefed, we had several debriefing yeah. conversations um, at her house and and um, at another a friend's house. And it was at that time, I, I remember I asked her to be my mentor. We talked mm. about being uh, mentors, and I asked her to be my mentor. And she stayed with me th- ever since. Mm. So when I was sick, when I had my psychosis, she would call me every day, every other day to check in on me. She would talk me through things. And I'll never forget um, the conversation she had with me. I remember being so distraught about... I was feeling sorry for myself about being so sick. Mm. And she... It was easy to be feeling bad because it just was so hard. Because it was bad. Because it was bad. It was really bad. And she said, you have such a special brain. (laughs) You see things that other people don't see. And no one had ever said that to me before. So she'll always be special for me. <laughs> that, that is um, something that I know, I know will resonate with so many people, um, women of all ages. And I was sharing with you before that, you know, just through our own MWA Youth Advisory Committee, the experiences that young women are having there in in understanding what it means to be in a safe space and to be vulnerable and to be yourself and not hold on. Um, And I'd like to take this to, you know, a bit of a broader level um, and from from your, your research, from your work, from your activism, what are the strengths you've gained in in bringing in women of diverse backgrounds, right? Mm. Because sometimes it's it's easier to to just to just keep going with who you know, oh. right? So for you to reach out in in Year Twelve, you know, to come all the way at that time to to Southwest Sydney to Lakemba and and meet up, and then for years later, then for that to be in your mind, you obviously saw value in making sure that you connected on that level. Mm. Um, why should people? Reach out. There's a cliche, right, that we're stronger, where you know the different ideas are our strength. And I think I think that people sometimes get fooled that 
sameness is our sense of belonging. Mm. Like, similarity is really important. Don't get me wrong. Similarity really makes a difference. But no one's the same. Mm. No one's the same. We're all different. We've all got different brains. We've all got different faiths. We've all got different interpretations of our faith. We've all got different skin colours. We've all got different different genders. You know, like, we're Mm. just different fundamentally we had different experiences mm. you know as well as these identities we actually just had different experiences and there is glory in that difference you know yeah. we're all different you know religion speaks of it as well that we're all different in the mm. eyes of god and we are all different as we walk on this earth and that's our power yeah that's our power is to to be able to harness and build on and resonate with our difference, you know. Like, it's so boring being with the same people (laughs) all over again, having the same conversations Mm. all over again. When you interact, it's why people like travel. Yeah. But it's not just flippant reasons, Mm. right? It's because I think it feeds our soul. Mm. It feeds our soul to understand. We have a great understanding of what humanity is by being able to interact with people who are different to us. Mm. You know, it's funny because the thing about bipolar is that I'm not just different to everyone, I'm different to myself, Mm. right? You know, sometimes I'm high and sometimes I'm low and sometimes I'm stable, right? I'm different to myself. And I learned from myself the power of difference, let alone from others, right? Like it's sort of almost... (laughs) odd, essentialist, mm. like we're always this, and it's in the difference that the learning happens, mm. that we realise who we are as as people. Yeah. And But the thing is, right, is it's also about not infantilising difference, Yeah. right? Like I think um, sometimes when people are working with communities who are different, they come in with kit gloves and are condescending, mm. right? And I think that that is... Um, that's as disrespectful as not building the relationships in the first place. Mm. The power of what I learned, I mean, it was the space that Maha created, really, but but that I learned from MWA in particular was to be real Mm. and that I wasn't there to sort of... um, <laughs> if I had tried to condes- like be condescending yeah. or pretend that I knew more, or if I was anything but just curious mm. and open, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. But but those those traits of being interested in someone else and being prepared to share, that's that's how we build those those relationships. And and there's a very clear goal. You know, you're working for the common good, as opposed to you know sometimes. I think as the Muslim community grows here in Australia, um, it's become stronger in terms of saying, you know, we don't want to just be celebrated anymore. You know, like, what's the the music and the food and the dress and all of these cultural celebrations Mm. that that authentic and sincere engagement... I mean, it's not even on the same page as come in your cultural dress or bring your your cultural food. It's, It's... working for the common good. Yeah. And when you, um, you know, are talking about the power of community and understanding yourself, there was something that I that I thought of, um, you know, when you said that you learn from yourself. Islamically, we've got this concept of the self. It's called the nafs, right? And it's sometimes translated as the self or the ego. And it's, it's a constant 
thing of trying to sometimes negotiate with it um, or or try and control it um, and being aware and conscious of what is driving you? What is your purpose? Mm. Is it just I, I want and I need to have and I get or is there a greater goal? Is there a greater purpose? And I think, um, you know, Bipolar is something on a completely different level, but I think from for, for those from an, a Muslim understanding of the nafs can really just mm. just understand a little bit of what that means yeah. because I think sometimes when people say mental illness, those who don't understand almost just switch off and say it's beyond my mm. my capacity to even connect with you. Mm. You know, you're you're different, and I don't I don't understand that. Mm. But we do have an awareness of ourselves and and the different influences that we have and what drives us. Right? So our awareness of, of the voices, right, the influences, who we are and our purpose, it goes part and parcel with then how we engage, right, and how we choose to present ourselves to other people. So you said, you know, before that in a space that you felt safe, you could be your whole self. Mm. But at previously you felt like you had to hide that part of yourself because it was it was used against you. Mm. So this is not only a barrier, you know, for someone with a mental illness, but it's a barrier for women as well. Sometimes women won't mention that they've got kids because they don't want to be seen as, you know, they've got these other commitments and, no, no, they're fully invested. So what can we do as a society more broadly to be more inclusive of women from cultural and religious backgrounds to, to welcome them to these spaces of community activism, community organising, and, and feeling like, like they belong, you know, mm. not that they're, they're outsiders to the space. Mm. It's such an important question. I mean, I think that there are, there are two spaces, two domains of action, right? There's what those who run those spaces mm. can do differently, and there's strategies that those who seek power, you know, seek to act in those spaces can, can, can do. I think for those, who, um, for those who have existing power, I think it's important. I mean, part of it is, is for them to know that their lack of diversity means that they, there is a deficiency there, mm. right? A room full of white men is, is just, is deficient. It's deficient. Like, it's just, it's, you know, it might be full of ego, it might be laced with money. It lacks soul. Mm. It lacks humanity because we are more interesting than that. Yeah. We are more diverse than that. And so I, th I, th I think that there's, and we can see it in, in politics, for instance, you know, like the sort of, sort of empty debate that we've got. We've got an election at the moment. It's so empty. Like, what, whichever side you think or whatever take you have, like, there's, you know, these ridiculous conversa gotcha conversations, yeah. there's old hashing of debates that have happened in the past. It's like we've just had COVID. Yeah. We've just had a global emergency and we've got, we've got this fake conversation for election. Like, what is going on? It's a deficient mm. It's a deficient conversation. Public life at the moment is deficient because of its lack of diversity. And, you know, I, th I think reckoning with that, that for public, for those, for figures in public life to reckon with that is, is part, part of what needs to happen, right? Yes. Is, is to see, is to link the two, that the lack of inclusion is linked to the sort of paucity of public debate. That yes. as those two things come together, I think that there is, there is power there. And then 
And then there's, you know, what what can communities do? You know, if there's there's people listening, mm. right, and thinking, yeah. what could I what could I do? You know, if I'm passionate, I mean, there's I think there's plenty of things to do. I mean, the first thing is is that change is a team sport. Um, you can't do this stuff on your own. Mm. You know, you, it's impossible. You'll burn out. And why would you want to? Because yeah. working with other people has its richness. You know, no matter no matter who you are, working with others, people who, whether they're people who are similar to you or different to you, there's a richness that comes from that. We need to model the change, mm. the diverse change yeah. that we seek in our practice. So I think finding your team is mm. really important to be able to to. You know, so find an organisation or find a group of people we've got to connect with others, and then the the other one is is then just um, standing on the shoulders of others. So the importance of mentorship. You yeah. know, um, no one, none of us are perfect, right? We're imperfect creatures. It's also true that those who have more experience have useful wisdom, right, mm. and and useful <laughs> insights. And so mentorship, you know, mentorship has been an incredibly important part of my life. Maha has been an incredibly important mentor. And I've had other professional mentors who've been incredibly important too. And that those forms of stewardship um, where you're supported in thinking about how to make change Mm. is is another another way to to make um, transformation relational. Right, yeah. is, is to work and exchange with others, and you don't need to agree with each other. Mm. You can have, you know, brilliant, um, dynamic debates, yeah. Yeah. but but you know those conversations are going to be learning conversations. Mm. I think um, you know mentorship is something a lot of people want, um, and they search for it, and they may apply for a mentoring program, but then it may not result in anything. What advice would you have for young women who want to be mentored by others mm. in the space? I mean, where, how do you even start? That is such a good question. It's really, I think that's really hard. I mean, I think look around with who you already know. Yeah. The best mentors I have encountered are people who I've met and then I've connected with and then I've sought out a further relationship. Mm. So, I mean, you might find a mentor randomly but almost every single person I have taken on as a where I've been a mentor or where I've been mentored has been someone who I've already met and have already um sort of tested the relationship Mm. you know um it's almost it's almost um theological right there's lots of testing and trialing of leaders in our in the Abrahamic tradition, yeah. right? lots of testing and trialing of leaders, and that's a there's a good lesson in that, mm. right? Like you might not find the right person in the first instance, and so I, I think exploring your network is a really important part. And then you know, then if that's too narrow, asking people like, but I do think it's it's mentor to find a mentor is to find a, a fairly. Um, intimate relationship Mm. and so using a sort of relational chain rather than um you know the web 
is yeah. probably going to be more useful. That said, you know, like yeah. I found my mentor in the white pages. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. so, you know, but, you know, like I do, I do think that those sort of relational connections are probably mm. the most um, powerful. Mm. So, again, it comes to relationships. Mm. And I think this is just an amazing, you know, it just keeps coming back to relationships, relationships. We're talking about the power of community and then we keep coming back to people knowing each other mm. and I think essentially that's that's really what it is yeah. right yeah um so for people who who are listening for people who um want to make a difference mm. um and let's say addressing specifically other young young Muslim women yeah right who feel that if they were walking to certain spaces they're going to be judged mm. um you know and you have you have an understanding of that because of your mental illness, right? So I, I think you can speak to that. Um, how do you cope with that, or how do you still how do you how did you still persevere when people were saying, "Oh, yeah, don't don't listen mm. to Amanda; she hasn't taken her meds." How did you keep going? Mm. I think look, I, I think that I do have a sense, of, but I also think there's a difference, right? I could hide yeah. my illness. There's no hiding yeah. being a Muslim woman. Yeah. You know, well, there's often no hiding, you know. Yeah. If you want to be authentic, you know, wearing the hijab means that you're going to be seen. Mm. And so, that, you know, potentially it's different. So, you know, I wouldn't speak, want to speak to, to, to knowing. Um, it took quite a lot of time. I mean, I think when I was younger, I just tried to pretend it wasn't happening mm. somewhat and just tried to sort of push it away and just ignore it. I'm fine type yeah. of attitude. Yeah. And that could that did work for a for a bit, but it wasn't um very sustainable. Mm. You know, like that sort of a, more of a prideful they shouldn't it shouldn't affect me so it won't yeah, affect so me. Right. It, it did affect me. As if right? that's going to work. It did know? affect me <laughs> yeah. and it, it was it was horrible and mm. I was so angry about it because the consequence at that time was that I just tried to be 10 times better than everyone else. Like Mm. I just would work so much harder. I didn't have breaks. I would work over the weekends because I felt like I just had to prove that I could be normal, right? Mm. So there was a sort of, there was a sort of self-destructiveness to um, not confronting the, the reality of, of, of what, how impacted me. I couldn't really do that after I had the second psychosis and I lost my job and Mm. so forth. And I think that that's why I decided to speak more publicly Mm. because it became this thing of, well, if I speak about it, then you can't attack me over it because I'm owning who I am and say whatever you want. Yeah. This is me. The whispers, you can whisper, I can speak. Yeah. And so that that has been the way my way through. And you know, now I speak more and more. And I know that still it makes some people uncomfortable. I know that I still get past you know, people saying negative things. And it still hurts. Hmm. Um but I feel like I have a more ownership over over my own story by the fact that I've chosen to, mm. to speak about it. I'm setting my own story rather than having it set by someone else. Yeah, and we we talk about a lot in our um, you know in our area of work where we're with working with women. We talk about owning your strengths, um, and I think you know what you've shared with us today has shown what that looks like. 
and owning your strengths often means being vulnerable, mm. right? Um, as we as we sort of wrap up the conversation, I do just want to talk about vulnerability, mm. right? Was it hard for you to be vulnerable and speak about your story? Or was it something that you just, it happened and it was just an easy thing for you to do? It was incredibly hard. Um, not long after I spoke with Maha, I remember we had a conference and I there was a woman there who's clearly sick, like I was. And, um, and it was so, it was, it was like a post-traumatic stress experience. And that was more like what it was like. I would just cry. Like mm. I couldn't actually talk about how psychosis happened or what happened in hospital without tears. I couldn't even form words, you know. And the thing that saved or the thing that enabled me to talk about it, and I'm, we're talking about like over six years, so it's a very long time, yeah. was slowly, like with, with Maha and others, talking about bits of my story in conversation where mm. I felt safe. I would tell a little bit of my story and then I'd tell a little... And not, it didn't go well every time. Mm. Sometimes I'd tell my story and someone would ask something that was horrible, yeah. right, and I would retreat and feel terrible, but then I would steal myself and then I'd come back and, and then, then I would tell... I remember telling, a, um, telling my story more at an event. Like, it was very, very slowly finding the words... And so I guess there's, maybe there's, there's a lesson in that, right? Mm. You know, being vulnerable isn't about pouring our heart yeah. out at the first opportunity, you know. There's a phrase that one of my um, colleagues used to say, which is that you, you don't wear your pearls every day, right, <laughs> in relation to stories. And I think it's true. Like, it's not like you go into a, a random room and tell everyone, not that I tell everyone, oh, yeah. and I have bipolar and it's so great, like... No, yeah. no, 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 no. You, 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 don't need to, you don't need to share that story every day. Mm. And, and, and it will take time for you to work out how, how to tell it in a way that allows you to feel safe. I used to say that I, I was sick for years. Okay. I got sick when I was 19. It was life-threatening and it changed my direction and that's why I got involved in social change. And mm. it was, that was my story. And then eventually it became more open mm. and I think there's a lesson in that that you you've got to share what you there's when we're talking about public life not private life yeah. in private life you are much more open and vulnerable mm. in public life it's a it's a trickier space and you have to be you have to be have have the um not the confidence is the wrong word but you you have to feel Maybe it's ego, enough, what nuff, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sense of self that it's going to be okay to talk, that you've got mm -hmm. enough support around yeah. you, that you've got the words to speak it, that, that you've reconciled it in your mind as well, that this is a story you can tell. Mm. And um, that can take a long time. Yeah, I, I think that is such an important thing to understand because, you know, what we often see is when, when a person realises that they can be them true, their true selves. It's almost like they want to rush into that, you know, and then maybe may share too much mm. somewhere in a space that wasn't appropriate and then we'll just go back and mm. it'll have a really, really adverse effect. So the, the process, yeah. slowing down, yeah. I mean, it applies with absolutely everything, doesn't mm. it, right? So when we're talking about 
empowering ourselves, empowering community, relationships, it all requires understanding the why, you know, talking to yourself, understanding yourself. And like you mentioned, having the right people around you, right, that you can you can lean back on and know that they will support you. Um, and I think, you know, what you've shared with us today has been so not only incredibly inspiring just, you know, as a sort of ideas and notions, but just just in practice as well. And I, I do really, really hope and, and believe that people will hear your story. The more people hear your story um, and and connect with it, the more people will feel confident enough to share who they are and their true selves. Um, and, you know, ultimately we don't have to pretend, right? We don't have yeah. to pretend to be someone else, someone who we're not, because essentially we're, we're harming ourselves if we do that. Yeah. So thank you so much, Amanda, for, for being with us here today, for really bringing light to what it means to bring your whole self to community advocacy and activism and organising from a perspective, I think, that really needs to be amplified a lot more. And I hope today's conversation will serve as that. And, you know, the work that you're doing in all of the spaces that you're doing, I think, is just absolutely incredible. And, you know, we thank you as well for everything that you do and continue to do. And thank you so much. For thank time. you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Changemakers is usually hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall, but this time the host was Feda Abdo. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. This is Series 6, so there's plenty in our back catalogue. This episode was recorded by the On Purpose podcast, produced by Muslim Women's Australia, and you can check out their other episodes if you just Google it online. Changemakers digital producer is Lachlan Hodson. Our audio producer is Jules Wookerer. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy lab. Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at our organising school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.